Good evening and welcome to our Bible study and if you have your Bibles please turn with me to the book of Job, Job chapter 28 starting to read at verse 1. There is a mine for silver and a place where gold is refined, iron is taken from the earth and copper is smelted from ore. Man puts an end to the darkness, he searches the farthest recesses for ore in the blackest darkness, far from where people dwell. He cuts a shaft, in places forgotten by the foot of a man, far from men, he dangles and sways. The earth from which food comes is transformed below as by fire, sapphires come from the rocks, and its dust contains nuggets of gold. No bird of prey knows that hidden path, no falcon's eye has seen it, proud beasts do not set foot on it, and no lion prowls there. Man's hands assault the flinty rock and lays bare the roots of the mountains. He tunnels through the rock. His eyes see all its treasures. He searches and sought the sources of the rivers and brings hidden things to light. But where can wisdom be found? Where does understanding dwell? Man does not comprehend its worth. It cannot be found in the land of the living. The deep says... It's not in me. The sea says, it's not with me. It cannot be bought with the finest gold, nor can its price be weighed in silver. It cannot be bought with the gold of Ophra, with precious onyx or sapphires. Neither gold nor crystal can compare with it. Nor can it be had for jewels of gold, coral and jasper. They are not worthy of mention. The price of wisdom is beyond rubies. The topaz of Cush cannot compare with it. It cannot be bought with pure gold. Where then does wisdom come from? Where does understanding dwell? It's hidden from the eyes of every living thing, concealed even from the birds of the air. Destruction and death say only a rumour of it has reached our ears. God understands the way to it. And he alone knows where it dwells. For he views the ends of the earth and sees everything under the heavens. When he establishes the force of the wind and measures out the waters. When he made a decree for the rain and a path for the thunderstorm. Then he looked at wisdom and appraised it. He confirmed it and tested it. And he said to man, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And to shun evil is understanding. Shall we pray? Father, again we come before you and ask your blessing upon us as we look at these passages together that we might understand the things that you would have us say about this subject of wisdom. And we come to you in the power of your Holy Spirit and through, and through what Jesus did when he died on the cross for us. Our Father, just lead us now as we come to you in his precious name. Amen. Well, as we continue in the book of Job, we come to this chapter 28, and it is Job's search for wisdom. You see, the book of Job is categorized as one of the wisdom books of the Bible. And in this section, we have a contrast and a parallel between man's wisdom and God's wisdom. And so far, there's been three rounds of discussions between Job and his three friends. His friends didn't comfort Job. They condemned him. They condemned him as being a guilty sinner. 
Job didn't curse God, and he has maintained his integrity as he has called out to God. His three friends have finished with what has become an interrogation of Job on the grounds that God is righteous and that because of this he is obligated to punish sin. Therefore, Job is being punished by God for the sins that he must have committed. In chapter 6, in Job's reply to Bildad, Job knows about the power and the righteousness of God and unlike Bildad, Job knows that because God is righteous, then he, Job, will be vindicated by him and he will be, God will pronounce him blame-free. In, in other words, Job will be justified by God. In chapter 27, Job admits that he thinks that what is happening to him is, is unfair and he sees his friends as becoming like his enemies. Here in chapter 28, the debate has ended. No answers have been found. Job is still suffering, but it seems that these things have been put to one side. Why? So that Job can gather his thoughts. You know, it's good to do that, isn't it, sometimes? Just to sit down quietly and think. And the tone of this chapter is one of quiet reflection. It seems that Job, in the role of a teacher, is not only thinking about these things, but he's also asking those to consider why no answers have been given. And this leads him to dealing with another question. And the question is, where is the understanding of all this? Where is the wisdom of all this that's going on in his life? In the lights of his so-called wise friends who have been bringing him what he sees as foolish-sounding cliches, Job is no closer to understanding why this is happening to him. He will now spend some time considering the value of searching for understanding. And as he asks the question about what is wisdom? And the other question, where can it be found? This passage is what is seen as being an interlude between what has happened and what is still to happen. Now, we've already looked at what has happened. But as we go forward in the book, in chapter 29, Job will continue as he states his final defense. Chapter 30 through to 31, Job will lament over his present condition. When we come to chapter 32 through to 37, we are introduced to another character, uh, a man by the name of Elihu, who has been there all the time. He's been listening, watching what's going on, but he hasn't spoken yet, but he will speak. And he will speak in chapters 32 through to 37. And then in chapter 38 to 41, God will speak. In chapter 42, Job will answer. But for this evening, let's take a look at chapter 28 and let's see this as being the meat in a sandwich. Sandwich between what's already happened and what is going to happen. And this is the subject of wisdom. You know, wisdom has often been defined as the right use of knowledge. Isn't that the basis of a, a good education to put what you understand to good use? Wisdom, the right use of knowledge. 
You know, our, our tumble dryer broke down last week. And this week, the engineer who knew a lot more than I do about these things wisely put his knowledge to use and he fixed it. What do we know? And how do we use what we know? And do we use it wisely? Well, we do this on a material level. How do we do it on a spiritual level? That's the question that we're going to look at here in this chapter 28. But first of all, Job starts by telling us how a man puts his knowledge to use in his efforts to find material wealth. So if we look at verses 1 through to verse 11, it's asking the question, does man use the knowledge that he has wisely? And we're going to go to an industrial site, the site of a mine. Now, we're familiar with mines. Um, we've got the mines in Wales, which mined coal, the tin mines down in Cornwall. And we've got coal mines up here in the north, or we did have. So listen to what Job says, and we can understand these words. He does it in a poetic way. Verse 1. There is a mine for silver in a place where gold is refined. Iron is taken from the earth, and copper is smelted from ore. Mortals put an end to the darkness. They search out the farthest recesses for ore in the blackest darkness. Far from human dwelling, they cut a shaft in a place untouched by human feet, far from other people, they dangle and sway. You know, Job is telling us that all these things are there waiting to be found, but to find them it takes effort. You need to sink shafts, dig them down into the ground to throw light into those dark places, and then men on ropes will go down, dangling and swaying to and fro dangerously doing this in order to go where no one has been before. And then in verse 5 and 6, the earth from which food comes is transformed below us by fire. And here it says sapphires in some versions, and some versions it will say lapsis, lazuli, comes from its rocks, and its dust contains nuggets of gold. You see, lapsis, uh, Lazuli is a highly valued blue rock that is a semi-precious stone and it sparkles with particles of yellow pyritis that look like gold. And this stone was and is still today seen as being of great value as it can be shaped and engraved more easily than a sapphire. So uh, some versions will say sapphire, some will say lapsig lazuli. And it's thought that the ancients sometimes used the words together, meaning either or. Sapphire to describe what is lapsic zulai. And this also, this rock that they're talking about, can, can be um, ground down to make pigment for, uh, as uh, I think it's azure blue. It's one of the sought after pigments that the ancients looked for. But you know, back to what we've looking at is not only the time and toil spent in searching and finding these materials, but once found, they need to be smelted, refined, and then shaped in order to make them useful. So this 
is a difficult and costly process, this search for something of great value. And then we read on in verse 7 and 8, the bird of prey knows that hidden, knows that hidden, the bird of prey knows that hidden path, no falcons. I have seen it, proud beasts do not set foot on it, and no lion prowls there. This means that man is more knowledgeable than the animals, and his wisdom is greater than theirs. So verse 9 through to 11, people assault the flinty rock with their hands and lay bare roots, of, bare the roots of the mountains. They tunnel through the rock. Their eyes see all its treasures. They search for sources of rivers and bring hidden things to light. You know, this search brings hidden light throws light onto things. And this is talking about man's wisdom. As man searches for the hidden things of value, gold, silver, precious jewels. In our day, this would include other minerals that we know of. It could also include oil and coal, and in some countries, it could include water. These are all the things that we might call the treasures of the earth. Here's a thought, another thought with a question. We've mentioned all these treasures of the earth. Who put them there? Well, the answer is, God did. We've looked at man searching for them. Who gave us the knowledge to be able to find them? The answer is, God did. We might put great effort into searching and finding, but how wise are we when we put this knowledge to use? Well, politicians hold summit councils to consider the wisdom of the global actions of mankind. As they review, what do they review? They review the folly of man's so-called wisdom. Today is Tuesday, the 27th of October. And today is the day of the autumn budget here in the UK. I wonder what wise decisions will be announced I don't say this as a political statement. I just want us to ask the question, just how wise is man's wisdom? Job here is telling us that we might find many precious things in the mines of this earth, but we won't find God's wisdom there. Pause for thought. Let's contrast the efforts that we as, as human beings put into finding the riches that the earth has to offer and compare it with the effort put in to find the riches that God has to offer. I think as for us this evening, we could maybe echo the words of that hymn that you might have heard sung by Jim Reeves some years back. One of the lines is, I'd rather have Jesus than anything this world affords today. So what about God's wisdom? Well, let's continue in this chapter. Chapter um, 28, verses 12 through to 19, where Job is seeking God's wisdom and he's asking, where can this wisdom be found? This is how he starts in verse 12. But where can wisdom be found? Where does understanding dwell? 
No mortal comprehends its worth. It cannot be found in the land of the living. The deep says it's not with me. The sea says it's not with me. It cannot be bought with the finest gold, nor can its price be weighed out in silver. It cannot be bought with the gold of Afra, the precious onyx, or lapsix lazuli. Neither gold nor crystal can compare with it, nor can it be found for jewels of gold. Coral and jasper are not worthy of mention. The price of wisdom is beyond rubies. The topaz of Kush cannot compare to it. It cannot be bought with pure gold. This is Job is saying that God's wisdom is beyond earthly value. You cannot buy God's wisdom, not even with all the precious things that this world offers. Job asks... Where then can wisdom be found? And he tells us where it is not found. It's not in the land of the living. It's not found in the depths of the sea. The wisdom that Job is looking for is beyond price. He's told us where we can't find it, but where is it to be found? Well, let's read on. Verse 20 through to 27, when Job asks, where does wisdom come from? Where then does wisdom come from? Where does understanding dwell? It's hidden from the eyes of every living thing, concealed even from the birds in the sky. Destruction and death say, only a rumour of it has reached our ears. God understands the way to it, and he alone knows where it dwells. For he views the ends of the earth and sees everything under the heavens. When he established the force of the wind and measured out the waters, when he made the decree of the rain and a path for the thunderstorm, then he looked at wisdom and appraised it. He confirmed it and tested it. You see, Job knows that the wisdom that he's looking for, the wisdom of God comes from God, God who is omniscient, omnipotent, Omnipresent. That means God, the all-knowing, the all-powerful, and the all-present God. And only he can really know it and really understand it. God's wisdom and understanding is of matchless value. God's wisdom cannot be bought. It cannot be found. But God's wisdom must be known. So we come to verse 28. And this is the final verse in this chapter. And we're going to listen to what God says. But before we do that, I want us again to pause and consider these things. You see, this is a passage, this is a chapter where Job has paused and basically weighed things in the balance. And Job is looking for something that he needs. Something that he needs to find. Something that needs to be found. This is something that is of great value. And it is beyond price. It's not found among the things of this world. And it's precious to those who find it. What is it? Well, verse 28 tells us. Listen to this. And he said to the human race, this is God speaking. The fear of the Lord, that is, wisdom, and to shun evil is understanding. 
the wisdom, that is wisdom. The fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And to shun evil is understanding. Again, let's ask another question. How has Job survived this ordeal so far? And the answer is that he already has God's wisdom. Hmm. How do I know this? I know it because God has told us. We go way back to Job chapter 1 and we read this. Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright. A man who fears God and shuns evil. That is God's wisdom. God tells us where to look for his wisdom and how to understand it. What is wisdom? Wisdom is to know who God is. Wisdom is to fear who God is. Wisdom is to turn from evil. Wisdom is to embark on the journey of understanding of who God is. Wisdom is trusting in God, even when we don't have all the answers or understand the circumstances into which God has put us. So back to verse 28 and read it with me in conjunction of Job 1. As God speaks, and he said to the human race, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom, and to shun evil is understanding. Job chapter 1. Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. Let's just pray. Father, we thank you for this chapter in the book of Job, and we thank you for that it speaks about wisdom. It does tell us about man's wisdom and how man uses it, how man searches for the treasures of this world. But our Father, it is God's wisdom that we search for the treasures that only you can give, those precious things that we might know you and know that you know us and that we might understand that you know us and that we might like Job, shun evil. Our Father, we ask you to continue to bless us as we go through this book. Not only that, but as we go through this coming week and these coming days, we ask that you will be with us as we ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, just before I go, just one more thing, if you'd like to do this, maybe through the week. Uh, it is good to sit down and just consider things. And I was looking at um, Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 8. And in Proverbs chapter 8, the poet personalizes wisdom. Now, wisdom is not a person, but for a poetic reason, he does this to allow wisdom to speak. So it's wisdom who is speaking in that Proverbs chapter 8. And here's a little sample of what wisdom has to say. This is verse 22 through to 32 of that Proverbs 8. The Lord brought me forth as the first of his works before his deeds of old. I was formed long ages ago at the very beginning when the world came to be. When there were no watery depths, 
I was given birth when there were no springs overflowing with water, before the mountains were settled in place, before the hills. I was given birth before he made the world or its fields or any of the dust of the earth. I was there when he set the heavens in place, when he marked out the horizons on the face of the deep, when he established the clouds above and fixed securely the foundations of the deep, when he gave the sea its boundary so that the waters would not overstep his command. And when he marked out the foundations of the earth, then I was constantly at his side. I was filled with delight day and night, rejoicing always in his presence, rejoicing in his holy world, and delighted in the human race. See, that's speaking about God's wisdom. And then it goes on. Now then, my children, listen to me. Blessed are those who keep my ways. Well, that's just part of Proverbs chapter 8. And if you get an opportunity, sit down and read the whole proverb and let wisdom speak to you.